Well, good morning, church. How are we all doing this morning? I just want to give a quick shout out. That worship was absolutely incredible. <laughs> I, I don't know about all of you, but I'm really happy there's a curtain right there because I was dancing my heart out back there, having the time of my life. So thank you to the worship team. You guys are incredible. And thank you to the tech team as well. That was absolutely amazing. Thank you. Oh, wow, what a great way to start a Sunday, guy. Right? Oh my goodness. So today I want to start off my sermon by sharing with you a quick story. And I love stories. That's what I'm all about. So stay tuned. So when I was a freshman in college, I was taking this class called Intro to Disciple Making with a Professor Naman, who's an absolutely incredible, brilliant man. And when you first are in college, you have to do your syllabus week where you basically sit there, you listen to a teacher, talk about all the things you have to do for the whole year. And I remember sitting in this class, and for those of you that don't know or have never heard of this thing before, it's called syllabus shock. It's where you basically realize how much you have to do, and you just get overwhelmed, and you freak out, and you shut down. I never have that problem. I'm way too cool for school. I don't have that problem. But I'm sitting in this class, intro to disciple making with Professor Naman. And as I'm sitting there, he's going through the projects, going through the papers. I'm like, oh, that's easy. That's going to be no problem. And he's standing there and he says, for the final project, what I'd like you all to do is do street evangelism. And everyone in the class kind of looked at each other and was like, I'm sorry, what? You want us to do what now? Understand that I grew up in a small town, Ohio, and I am now a freshman in downtown Chicago. I don't know the area. I don't even know how I got to class on time. And yet you want me to go out on the street and preach the gospel. My mind just started filling with all of these fears. I mean, what if I get mugged? It's Chicago. I mean, what if someone comes up to me and makes fun of me? What if someone asks me a question and I just, I'm baffled. I have no idea. I just kept asking myself all of these what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. And I let that fear completely cloud my judgment. I let it completely overwhelm me to the point of being unable to do it. However, since I'm obviously here telling you this story, I survived. But I want to, what I want to do today is I want to help you all learn from my mistakes. I want to teach you how to be unashamed of the gospel so that whenever the opportunity arises in your life for you to share the gospel with someone, you will be unashamed. You will have the confidence and the tools to do so and to do it well. So for today, we'll be taking a look at Romans chapter 1, verses 15 through 16. But obviously, to start off, I have to explain what evangelism is. You can't be a good evangelist if you don't know what the word evangelism means. So evangelism, as defined, is the spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching or personal witness. And I believe that one of the greatest examples of an evangelist was Paul. And that's why we're going to be taking a look at one of his epistles. So would you read with me in chapter 1 of Romans, verses 15 through 16? It says, That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So let's start off by asking the question, why is it so significant that Paul says he is eager to speak the gospel? And not only that, but he is unashamed to do so. 
Well, first of all, we have to know what Paul is going through. For those of you that don't know the story, before Paul was Paul, he was Saul. Following? You tracking along with me? So, Saul was a man who used to hunt Christians. He would find them, beat them, imprison them, and or kill them. It was quite a horrific thing, but that's what he did. And for those of you that already know the story, on the road to Damascus, he found Jesus, and Jesus came to him and changed his whole life, and now he is an amazing Christian and wrote half the New Testament. You see, however, although Paul, this whole thing happened to him, he still knows that there is still persecution happening in Rome. There are still Christians at this time who are being persecuted, who are being hunted, who are being imprisoned, who are being beaten and being killed. And in fact, Paul himself was experiencing this. He talks about these beatings and these alienations from his friends and his close friends. And he was also imprisoned, flogged, and all of this stuff. And he talks about all of that throughout First and Second Corinthians. Yet, Paul says he is eager to preach the gospel. And he is unashamed to do so. Why? How can he have so much confidence? And that comes in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. You see, it is this gift of salvation that is so good. And Paul realizes this. He says this gift of salvation is too good not to share. Paul is saying no matter what may come my way, no matter the beatings, no matter the alienation from my closest loved ones, no matter the imprisonment, the beatings, the floggings, the anything, and even the death, Paul dies for his belief. He says, this gift that I've been given, this gift of salvation, is far too good to keep to myself. I must share it. You see, I honestly wish I had this kind of confidence going into this project. Going into this project, I was deathly terrified, absolutely petrified of this idea of doing this. So I put it off as long as I could. It was the second to last week of the semester. And if I didn't do this project, I would fail the class. And I'm now filled with thoughts of like, oh great, how am I gonna come home and tell my parents, hey, I dropped out of college because I couldn't do street evangelism at a Bible school. That doesn't look too good. So I was like, all right, I have to do this. So I decided to go out with this group of other students at a program called Free Prayer. And what we would do was you went out in Chicago at 11 o'clock at night with a cardboard sign that had the words Free Prayer. And that was it. I went with about three other freshmen who also were brand new to the city and have never lived in a big city before. For those of you, let me paint this picture for you. For those of you that have never been in Chicago before, it's 11 o'clock at night in downtown Chicago. Not the most God-glorifying thing in the world. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't too great. But I had to do this for the project, so I, I did it. And what we did was we went to Wrigleysville, which is just outside Wrigleysville Stadium. And we took our little sign, us three little puny freshmen held our little sign. And we got off the train and we're like, where are we going to go? Where are we going to stand and hold our little sign? And I look off in the distance and there is a street lamp. And a street lamp to me, in my head, I go, there's a street lamp. That must mean safety. If we get mugged or killed, someone, by the grace of God, might call the police and we might be okay. Let's go there. 
So we mosey on over to the street lamp, and we stand there with our little sign. It was at that moment when I actually took uh, surroundings of what I was like around. I turn around, and there was a bank, completely gutted out, abandoned, with about five to six homeless people living inside. Across the street, a bar. Next to that, a three-story liquor store. Next to that, another bar. And then across the street, directly parallel to us, was a uh, transgender nightclub that was very populated. What a wonderful place for three little freshmen new to the city to be. It was horrifying. But we stood there with our little sign, a little smile on our face and just held it up. First few hours being out there, nothing really happened. People just kind of looked at us and didn't really care. Then after a while, people started to take notice and people weren't too kind of it. There was a gentleman who would, uh, across the street at the bar, would open up the window and yell, God is dead. And uh, we looked back and said, it's okay, God loves you too. <sighs> After a while, there was some people that would cross the street. And if you don't know what a shoulder check is, it's when an individual intentionally comes over and nudges you really hard with their shoulder. And people were starting to come across the street just to do that. I remember asking, I said, God, I'm going to be real with you. Um, if you want a rapture right now, I'm perfectly fine with that. Take us up. Get us out of here. I want nothing to do with this situation. I, this is awful. I can't do this. But God is God, and he always has bigger things planned. He always does. So throughout the night, we're standing there, and at one point, there's a gentleman who comes up, and he's heavily intoxicated. He's leaning up against the wall, and he comes up to us, and he is leaning on me. And I'm like, oh, great. What do you want? And he says, hey, I saw your sign. Can, can I pray with you? And we're like, I mean, yeah, that's, that's what the sign says. And he says, yeah, um, so I, I just lost my wife, and she took the kids. I'm afraid I will never see them again, and all I can do is drink. Can you pray for me? Uh, of course, we will pray for you. So we did, and he went on his way. Later on through the night, there was a taxi driver that threw water bottles at us, and we're like, um, okay. And he says, hey, my daughter goes to that school, and I've seen it change her life. It's in truly incredible the amount of change she's had in her own life and in our families. I appreciate what you guys are doing. And he drove off. So we're like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then later on in the night, there was a gentleman, a very, very tall, big, muscular guy, and he sees us from across the street, and he points out and goes, you, are you a believer? And then he just starts running across four lanes of traffic, and we're like, oh my gosh, this guy's going to kill us. Um, he comes over, and he's like, you, are you guys believers? And we're like, uh, yes? And he says, hey, and he pulls out a gospel tract, like a little Bible, and says, I have some questions about the gospel, and I don't quite understand it. Can you try to walk me through this? And we're like, I mean, sure. So we tried. And admittedly, we're freshmen. We don't know anything. So we tried our best. And in fact, one of the guys I was with said, hey, we're actually answering that question right now in our class. If you want, we have this program where we can invite anyone we want to any of our classes. They can come in for free. And that guy ended up showing up the week after and showed up to the class. And then one of the last experiences that happened in the night, there was a gentleman who was 
physically being carried by his four friends. He was so intoxicated, he couldn't walk. So his friends had him on his feet, on his arms, and carried this man. And the man saw us, looked over and says, I need to talk with them. And the four friends were like, bro, you, you need to get home. You need water. You need to go to bed. And he says, no, I, I need to talk with them. And the friends were like, no, don't bother them. Just come on. Let's go. And he goes, no, I need to talk with them. And started fighting his friends. So the friends were like, hey, can he talk with you? And we're like, yeah, of course. Why not? And the guy says, I'm in a hole. I'm in the deepest, darkest pit of my life, and I don't know what to do. Can you pray for me? So we did. I, I will tell you this right now. Every single one of these stories is true. Every single one. This night had such a major impact on everyone involved. Not only for them, because it showed that God cared for them. That in this deep, dark, hurting world, and even the world they're living in, it showed that God cared for them. And showed that people out there do love them. And not only that, it reminded us that prayer is powerful. And not only that, but seeing God use us to just be a light in their life was astonishing. That day, I truly discovered the power of evangelism. I did. And Paul knew about this power. He knew how important it was. And I hope that I'm convincing you how important it is. So you may be asking, okay, I get it. I see that it's important, but how can I evangelize to the world around us? Now, you could always hold up a little cardboard sign that says free prayer, worked just fine for me, and I, I would recommend it. But honestly, one of the best ways to evangelize is to just share your story. You see, God has shown up at each and every one of your lives. You are here right now. That is a testament to God being in your life. Don't be afraid to share that story. Share those moments of highs and lows. Don't be afraid to share that. And the next thing you can do is to just plant a seed in someone's heart. Now, this could be done through how you live. Do you, any of you know what Ash Wednesday is? It's a mostly Catholic holiday that happens about 46 days before Easter. And I loved it in Chicago. I'm, although not Catholic, I would enjoy participating in this. What you would do is you would take a little cross of ash on your forehead. And what that symbolized was a symbol of repentance and a symbol of faith. And I loved this because you'd be sitting in Chicago with your little ash on your forehead, and you'd see on the train, you'd see other people with a little cross on their forehead. And you would go, oh, I'm a Christian too. And you would start a conversation. You would walk up to them and say, oh, where do you go to church? How long have you been a believer? Have you ever been baptized? Where have you been baptized? Where do you serve in your church? And it started those kind of conversations. It was absolutely incredible. I loved it. But there was always one thing that I really didn't like about it. And it was that it only happened once a year. It happened, and then you went home and washed it off and went about your life. You see, what if we lived each and every day as if we had that cross on our forehead? I am not telling you to go out and get a tattoo of a cross on your forehead. However, that would be literally the coolest thing ever. We'd all have matching tattoos, guys. I, I really think it'd be awesome. I think it'd be awesome. But I'm not telling you to do that. What I am telling you to do is what if you lived each and every day as if you had that cross on your forehead? What if in the way you treated one another as if you had that cross on your forehead? 
What if in the way you acted and reacted to a negative situation, as if you had a cross on your forehead? What if in the way you loved and you served, as if you had that cross on your forehead? You see, someone may come up to you in your life. Someone may come up and say, how can you live in a broken, hurting, sinful world full of all this anxiety and hurt and depression, yet you are so full of joy? You're so full of hope. Well, it's because I place my trust in God, a God who's capable and loving and knows what he's doing. Or someone may come up to you and say, your world is crumbling. You may have lost a loved one. You may be suffering from something, and everything around you is just dying. Yet you're still loving one another, and you're serving one another. Why is that? Well, it's because I have a God who loved me first. You see, there's a story. Like I said at the start, I love my stories. I had a friend of mine who was a very big atheist, and although we were friends, he would constantly, and I mean constantly, make fun of my beliefs. I was never bothered by it. I didn't care. I remember there was one day we were all sitting around, me and my friend group, sitting and talking about what college we wanted to go to. And one of them says, oh, I want to go be a medical school. The other one said, oh, I want to go be an engineer. I want to go be a professional tuba player. And I told them, yeah, I actually just applied and got in to a youth pastor program at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And the atheist friend of mine said, uh, so why do you want to waste your life like that? Whew, that was tough. That was tough. To, I, I sat there for a moment and genuinely was like, how do I answer this? And by the grace of God, I responded with, because I truly believe in the Bible. I truly want to know everything about it so that I can share it with the world around me. You see, he just responded with, yeah, okay, whatever. And that was it. Years pass. And I'm now a few years into college. I come home for winter break, and we're all sitting there playing video games. And one day I notice a KJV, KJV Bible sitting on his nightstand. I was like, hey, what, uh, what's that doing there? And he says, yeah, ever since we had that conversation, I know you're not dumb. I have a lot of respect for you. So I wanted to read it for myself. And I was like, wow, uh, okay. And I kid you not, last week, I went home to go hang out with some friends and go to Ohio State and see his brother. And as we're all hanging out, it's getting late. And he says, hey, I got to go home. I got to get ready for church tomorrow. And I was like, uh, why do you need to get ready for church? Just show up. And he goes, yeah, so um, I'm playing piano for the worship band. And I want to talk with the pastor because uh, God's really put something on my heart. And I want to see if I can do a sermon about it. I did nothing. I never once shoved the Bible down his throat. I never once said, you are a sinner, you will burn in hell, and I will watch you burn as I sit and laugh from heaven. No, I never did that. All I did was have a singular moment where God gave me the words to speak. I didn't plan it, it just happened. And it, God used that singular moment to change his life. You see, some of you may be wondering now, I have now shared with you what it looks like to evangelize and why it's important. Some of you may be saying, hey, but I'm still afraid. I'm still scared to do it. I don't blame you. I've been there. So what I want to do is try to de debunk some fears and myths regarding evangelism. 
You see, some of them may be asking, what if I don't have all the answers? Tommy, I didn't go to a Bible school. I don't have all the answers. Well, newsflash, we're all human. None of us will know everything. I will never know all the answers, and nor will you. That's okay. That's okay that you won't know everything. What I can tell you is just be honest. Be honest and tell them, hey, I don't have the answer to that, but follow through with them. Tell them, hey, I don't know the answer to that, but I would love to find that out. Let me go home and talk to my pastor. Let me go home and talk to a mentor. Or hey, let's try to figure this out together. Let's look it up online and we'll do a Bible study on that. Have those kind of moments. Always follow through with them. You will never know everything, but having something like that shows intentional, intentionality, if that's a word. Anyway, next thing is, what if I get ridiculed made fun of, or even lose a friend. Now, like I said, I've had atheist friends in my life, but I've never lost a relationship because I was a Christian. However, your faith needs to be stronger than their ridicule, always. Our God is already stronger than it by a long shot, but your faith in that God needs to be stronger than their ridicule. And if someone honestly did ever come up to you and say, you know what, I can't be your friend because you are a Christian. You're probably not that good of a person to have in your life in the first place. And you're probably doing yourself a favor to cut them out. The next one is, should faith, shouldn't faith be private and not public? You see, I, I love this question because um, how would Jesus respond to that? How would Paul respond to that when he says, despite all the beatings, despite all the imprisonment, I'm eager to share the gospel and I'm unashamed to do so? Now, yes, don't get me wrong. There are moments that your faith can be private, whether that's in times of prayer, in times of worship or meditation. There's nothing wrong with having those be private. But God has called us, Christ has called us to be disciple makers of all nations. We are called to make our faith public. We are called to share that faith with the world that desperately needs it. This gift of salvation that we have been given that we don't even deserve, it's too good not to share. And finally, is there a difference between feeling anxious and feeling shame when it comes to sharing the gospel? I will tell you this right now, you will always have anxiety. It's a part of life. I will tell you this, I'm certain that if Mark was here, he would tell you he still gets scared to come up on stage. I know backstage, I still got scared coming up on stage. That's a part of life. And even when it comes to you sharing the gospel, it is scary. It's not easy. But not only does practice make perfect, it makes it easier, but at the same time, you can't let that fear control you. You can't let it dissuade your decision-making. You can't let the fear completely cloud your judgment and prevent you from ever taking a step out in faith. Don't ever forget, we have the Holy Spirit on our side. This Holy Spirit that leads us, that guides us, that gives us the words to speak, that's on our side. Don't let that fear stop you. So as I call up the praise team and as we wrap up and have a giant little bow on everything, you have to understand that evangelism it changes lives. Not only theirs, but it changes your own. Our job is to plant that seed in their hearts and watch God let it grow. Whether that is 
to share that Bible directly with them, whether that's the part of relationship is to show them and continuously show them, or whether that's just to live each and every day as if you have that cross on your forehead. The gift of salvation is far too good, far too good not to share it with the world that desperately, desperately needs it. And for those of you that haven't yet received the gospel, obviously it's going to be hard to evangelize if you don't believe it yourself yet. That's okay. We have people that want to walk you through that process. If you ever have any questions or want to know more, all of us on staff are here for that. We want to walk you through that, answer any questions, and walk you alongside this journey. But for those of us that have had the Holy Spirit in our hearts, for those of us that we have been following God since last week or since our birth, this gift that we've been given, we need to share. This gift that even we don't deserve, we need to share it because it's far too good to keep it to ourselves. So let us together, let us be unashamed of this gospel. Let us have the confidence to share it with the world around us because they need it just as much as we need it. Would you all pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I wanna thank you so much for gathering us here today. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you God for this gift that you've given us. There's nothing we could have done to earn it. There's nothing we could have done to deserve it, God you give it graciously to us. Lord, I pray that you ignite a fire in our hearts, God. Give us the confidence to be unashamed of your word. Lord, I pray that you challenge us. Give us someone that we can share this word to. Whether that's a friend, a coworker, a family member, anything, God, I pray that you put a picture of someone's face in our mind so that, God, we can share this with them. And Lord, I pray that we do it. I pray that we are unashamed of you. Lord, we love you. and We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.